podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two for the podcast on Monday, January 24th, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix or whatever it is that you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. If you go to libertyshield.com, and use the code EPL599, you can get your first month with $5.99 off. So one quid for the first month, $6.99 thereafter. No contract, no commitment, instant download to your devices. Get using straight away at libertyshield.com. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check at homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you will find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off. Right, folks, uh, 10 games at the weekend. We're going to fly through these because there's no point in labouring on some of them. Friday night, Watford nil, Norwich 3. Huge win for Norwich. This feels like a massive win for them. Two goals from Josh Sargent, again playing that right-sided role that he did so well in last weekend. I thought this was the best he's looked in the Premier League. His first goal is an outstanding back-heeled volley from a Timu Puki cross. His second one is a brilliant header, rising above the defender, directing it into the far post. He played really well. Emmanuel Dennis got himself sent off on 78, and Juraj Kuka put through his own net in the second minute of added time from an Adam Day cross, second own goal caused by an Adam Day cross in the past two games. Back-to-back wins for Norwich took them out of the bottom three for the first time all season. The first time since like week eight of the 1920 season. They had spent over 50 weeks of football in the bottom three in the Premier League. Obviously, they had the season and the championship in between. But massive, massive for them. 16 points. They're one point ahead of Newcastle. Newcastle do have a game in hand. They're two points ahead of Watford. Watford have two games in hand. And they're four ahead of Burnley. Burnley have four games in hand. But they have points on the board. And when you're at the bottom of the table, points on the board is what you really want. Dean Smith, back-to-back wins. It's the second time this season they've won back-to-back. They've only won four times all season. So we'll wait and see how the next couple of games go for them. Obviously, they would have liked a game probably midweek and another one at the weekend to keep that momentum going. Instead, obviously, there's a substantial break now in the schedule. Their next Premier League match is not until the 9th of February. In the interim, they will play Wolves on the 5th of February in the FA Cup. 
But that Crystal Palace game at home on the 9th of February is a big, big game for them. In the meantime, before that takes place, Watford will play Burnley. And a win for Watford will put them above Norwich and drop Norwich back into the bottom three. But Norwich can start gaining some confidence. There are good players there. There's good players at Norwich. And they've got Matthias Norman to come back from injury. They've got Billy Gilmore to come back from injury. And these are two players that can improve them either even further. I think Aarons and Williams have really settled in now as the, the fullbacks in a back four under Smith. Still not sold on Hanley, but he wins everything in the air. Gibson has started to play a bit better. I thought Gunn had a good game in goal. So that's promising for them as well. And that front four with Sargent on the right, a day behind Puki and Rashiska on the left, that is starting to look a little bit threatening. In the last two games, they've combined well. They're getting work rate. They're getting pace and power. Puki, we know he can lead the line in the Premier League. And then Rashitska offers some creativity and some goals. If they can get Matthias Norman back into midfield, I think that's a fairly... Formidable is not the word because you're still talking about a bottom four team. But it is a group that will cause a number of teams problems. And they're only three points behind Everton, remember. Everton have the two games in hand, but Everton are cratering at the minute. So big for Norwich, big loss for Watford. Second bottom of the division now. You'd have to raise questions over whether Ranieri will be the manager the next time they play. And their next game will be Burnley away on the 5th of February. That is a huge, huge game. That obviously was meant to take place this past midweek. Watford are probably thankful that it didn't because if they'd lost that and then lost to Norwich, they'd be in deep trouble. There's a lot of speculation that Claudio will not be in charge, that the next couple of days are going to be about Watford finding a new manager. I see Diego Martinez's name linked heavily. He was manager at Granada for a couple of years, did a great job there. He would be a big, big coup for them. But what I will say is whoever they get in, if they get in somebody like him, it has to be with a long-term plan. It can't just be, you know, try and keep us up. And if you don't, you're gone. It has to be try and keep us up. If you don't, let's start building for next season and let's bounce straight back up. Let's have a real plan in place. Because he's too good of a manager to squander. He's far too good to squander. And Norwich, or Watford have made a lot of strange managerial appointments in recent years. They've made a lot of rushed managerial appointments. And Ranieri was one of those. He was never the right man for this job. We saw what happened when he took over Fulham in similar circumstances. It was a disaster. He went again around this time that season. The same thing is happening. And you could have predicted it at the time. I think I actually did say I don't think he'll last the season. Um, and you couldn't blame them if they sack him. Because 14 games, two wins, one draw and 11 defeats. At Fulham, he lasted 17 games, um, three wins, three draws and 11 defeats. So wasn't particularly good there either. Funnily enough, conceded 34 goals in both jobs. Scored 16 at Fulham. Has managed 17 at Watford, but a 14.29 
win percentage since taking over. You can't blame them for moving on. Wrong man, wrong time. It, probably time for him to hang it up and retire. Uh, moving on then into Saturday in the early kickoff. Everton nil, Aston Villa won at Goodison. This was an ugly game of football. Everton's plan under Big Dunk seemed to be blood and thunder, long ball dreck, which is not surprising considering the style of football that he was used to playing, the style of football that he quote-unquote thrived in. Um, The man wore a suit with a sweatband on his wrist, uh, which was interesting. He wore Howard Kendall's watch, which apparently is his lucky charm. The commentators referenced it five or six times during the game. Um, He set his team up in a 4-4-2, which he knew he was going to do. He did not include either Michaelenko or Patterson in his matchday squad. Uh, His lucky charm, that's five games now he's managed with the watch on his wrist, and they've won one of them. Three draws and one defeat. I'm not sure it's all that lucky, if we're being honest. Villa win the game with an Emi Buendia header, which, I mean, Emi Buendia is 5-9. And when you've picked a bunch of big lads and you're hoping to just, you know, hoof it long and get a result, to let a fellow who's 5-9 get a free header in your box and loop it over Jordan Pickford and his despairing tiny arms, you've done something wrong. Everton did not look like a team that had been coached. They did not look like a team that had been well set up, well drilled. They did not look like a team playing to instruction. It was literally thump it long and hope for the best. Now, Tyron Mings did his damnedest to allow them the best. Uh, Defensive errors galore. His passing was appalling. But Everton were just completely blunt. Completely blunt. They looked a bit more threatening in the second half when Anthony Gordon came on and Alain came on in midfield. Uh, he took off Andros Townsend, who did no impact on the game, and Andre Gomes, who, again, a nothing player. And they looked like they had a bit more purpose. Um, but you wanted to see them driving at, at Villa. You felt like Dukuri could have some joy driving at that team. He was never really given the opportunity to do so. He went off injured, which could be another big blow for them. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see what the news is on that. But for Villa... A 4-3-3, and probably the one that Jared has been looking to play. Now, it still includes Tyron Mings, who's a liability, but you like the right side of the defence with, with Cash and Konza. Obviously, the goalkeeper is excellent. You like the left back. It's a strong midfield, McGinn, Louise, and Ramsey. It's maybe lacking a bit of defensive structure, and that may get solved this week. Rodrigo Bentoncourt from Juventus apparently is now the top target for holding midfielder. They had been after Yves Basuma, who would be wasted in that kind of role. Benton Kerr would be ideal. Very good position. He reads the game well, clever on the ball. Ideal as a six with two eights either side of him. So if it's him with McGinn and Luis either side, or him with Luis and Ramsey either side, I think McGinn is massively overrated, but Villa seemed to love him. Um, but you you take those four, plus Carney Chukwameka, plus Morgan Sanson, and Marvellous Nakamba when he comes back. That's a really strong midfield seven. 
that's something you could be really confident with. Um, Coutinho and Buendia playing as dual number 10s behind Ollie Watkins. They're still figuring out how to play together. I think it will come in time. But all of a sudden, Villa starting to look like they've got more purpose to them. They got a little bit lucky in this one, it must be said. But at the same time, they managed to deal with whatever we're throwing at them and uh, and get through it and get a good away win. So Everton are 16th in the league. They're three points ahead of Norwich, four ahead of Newcastle in 18th. Now, they do have a game in hand on Newcastle, two in hand on Norwich. But with the way they're playing and the fact that they're away to Newcastle next, it doesn't look good for Norwich. It doesn't look good for Everton right now. Um, They've got Brentford next in the FA Cup. That's on the 5th of February. And then it is... Newcastle away on the 8th, you would hope that they will have their new manager in place. And it looks like Vitor Pereira is the guy who could be on his way in. Now, he was linked in the summer. There was a lot of talk that he was one of the ones on a short list. They seem to be establishing a relationship with Kia Jorabashian, who I would avoid like the plague if I had anything to do with a Premier League club. But Vitor Pereira is a Kia client. He's been at big clubs before. He was Porto manager for two years. He won back-to-back league titles then. Uh, he went to Al-Ali, who are one of the biggest clubs in Saudi Arabia. He finished runner-up in the King's Cup of Champions. He managed Olympiacos, obviously the biggest club, or one of the biggest clubs in Greece. He managed Fenerbahce, one of the biggest clubs in Turkey. Um... He had a failed spell with 1860 Munich. Nobody could have had a successful spell with them at that time, so I wouldn't hold that against him. He did pretty well in China with Shanghai SIPG. Uh, won a Chinese Super League, won a Chinese FA Cup. He then returned to Fenerbahce in the summer after the links to Everton. He ended up at Fenerbahce. Uh, he left after 25 games. Not really sure what the situation was there. They were fifth in the league, 14 points off top. That's probably why uh, he was sacked six months into a two-year contract. The track record is not bad. And as I say, he's been at big clubs, but the fact that he was at only at Olympiacos for six months and they didn't retain his services is a little bit of a concern. Maybe that was his decision, but he's been to Fenerbahce twice. They didn't retain him either time. Porto didn't seem all that pushed when he left. You'd wonder. You'd have to wonder. It's a little bit of a of a barrel scraping competition or a appointment. You do sort of feel like Everton could and should be looking to do better. You really do feel that way. And remember, when he took over that Porto team, while he did win back-to-back league titles. Um, he took over Vias Boas' team, which had won a treble. So he took over a really good team that didn't need a whole lot of tweaking. He's going to take over a mess at Everton that does need a fair bit of tweaking and some recruitment. They've got no director of football, no chief of recruitment, uh, no chief scout. It's a big, big job taking over at Everton. A big, big job, and I don't know that he's going to be up for it. Uh, for Villa, they are now 11th in the league. 
They were briefly top half until yesterday. But they will play Leeds at home on the 9th of February. And that's a game they should win. Then they go to Newcastle, home to Watford, away to Brighton, home to Southampton for the next five. Brighton's the the toughest game in that lot by a distance. That could potentially be four wins. And with the way this league is at the minute, four wins could make a massive difference. Four wins could be enough to bring you into like eighth or ninth in this league, depending on somebody else having a bad run of form. They're currently eight points behind Wolves, who sit eight. Wolves don't look like they'll have a bad run, but you never know. They could certainly jump Brighton. They could certainly jump Leicester. I think the aim for them is just top half. If they get 10th, I think Villa will be happy, uh, especially having changed manager mid-season. So I think 10th is probably the aim for Steven Gerrard. Uh, On to the 3pm kickoffs then. We had Brentford 1, Wolves 2. A bit of a weird game. There was a, a stoppage for a drone, which delayed the game by 20 minutes, and it was just a bit odd after that. But nil nil at half time. There had been no shots on target in the first half. Uh, Jean Matinho scored the first goal of the game on 48 minutes. Lovely bit of interplay on the edge of the Brentford box. And he bent a right-footed shot with the outside of his boot into the far corner. Ivan Tony equalised on 71. Beautiful volley. Great technique at the back post from a free kick. Uh, sent it right across the goal. Really, really good goal. But Ruben, ne- Ruben Neves made a two on 78. I thought Jonas Lossel should have done a bit better with this one. I didn't think Neves caught it as cleanly as he wanted to. And I thought Lossel should have done better. Um, Tony Gomes, the young central defender, um, playing for Wolves. He's only played a couple of games to them now. He was actually sent off in the game. But a VAO review caused that to be turned to a yellow card, and that was the correct decision, though it did obviously upset a few Brentford fans. Brentford currently 14th in the league. That's four defeats in a row. They are starting to waver. They really are starting to waver. They've got Everton away in the cup next. Then it's away to Manchester City, home to Brentford, away to Arsenal, home to Newcastle, away to Norwich. They've got to win a couple of those games. They really do have to win a couple of those games. If they can win the Newcastle and Norwich ones, and then they get Burnley after that, that should keep them safe. Because not only are they gaining points themselves, they're taking points off teams that are in that relegation mix. Win two of those three, Newcastle, Norwich and Burnley, and you should be fine. But it is a little bit concerning how they've just started to drift so badly. Uh, Ivan Tony cut his hair as well. Not sure I'm a fan. Um, Wolves, they're eighth. They're two points behind Spurs and Arsenal. Three points behind West Ham and only four points off Manchester United, who sit fourth. Uh, They do have a game in hand on Manchester United as well. Two in hand on West Ham. Same number played as Arsenal. Tottenham have a game in hand on them. But they've been so impressive. They still only scored 19 goals this season, which is crazy. Uh, But they've only conceded 16, and only Manchester City have conceded less. So when you're that good defensively, it does give you a big advantage. One goal is often all you need to win a game. Now, obviously, they've needed two in their last two games, but two goals a game shouldn't shouldn't be a big 
challenge for them in, in some of these games. Um, up next for Wolves is a big one. Oh, well, first of all, they've got Norwich in the cup, but then it's Arsenal at home. If they win that game, that will be massive for them. And they will go above Arsenal in the Premier League. That is a huge, huge game. Then it's Tottenham away, which will be tough. Then Leicester at home. Then West Ham away. And then Palace at home. It's a really difficult five-game run. But Bruno Lage has done such a good job that it wouldn't surprise me if they were to win two or three of these games and come out looking like a really good team. They're so good defensively. I'm really impressed with him. And I think when we get to the summer and there might be one or two bigger jobs open, it wouldn't be surprising to me if he starts to get some mention because I've been really impressed with what he's done. Uh, Moving on then, we had Newcastle 1, Leeds 0 at Elland Road. First half, Leeds were the better team. Second half, Newcastle were the better team. It wasn't a particularly good game, but John Joe Shelby won it on 75. I think Melier has to do so much better. It's not a well-struck free kick. I think Melier has to do much, much better. He's beaten in a very small space. I'd be hugely disappointed if that was my keeper. But it's a big, big win for Newcastle. Only their second of the season. And it'll give them some belief. Now, it's just a shame for them that it came the same weekend that that Norwich managed to win a game or they would have been out of the bottom three. Uh, Newcastle have Everton at home next. As things stand, that's very much winnable. Then it's Aston Villa at home, which, you know, if they can get a couple more in the door, maybe they can give Villa a game. Then they go to West Ham. Then it's Brentford away and then Brighton at home. So those will be tough games. But that Everton one is looking very, very winnable right now. And if they can win that, maybe it'll just give them a little bit of extra confidence. Maybe they can take something from Villa. Brentford look beatable at the minute, so maybe there's a win to be had there, even though it's an away game. You just you don't know if they if they catch West Ham on a bad day, if they catch Brighton on a bad day, it's a long trip up from Brighton. Maybe they can start to just pull a few points together. They're going to need to because their end of the season isn't fun. They they really need to start getting points in these interim weeks because, you know, Chelsea, Crystal Palace, Tottenham, Wolves, Leicester are the five after that. And that's a much tougher five. Uh, their last five is Norwich away, which will be big, Liverpool, Man City, Arsenal, and then Burnley away in the final day. And if it comes down to Burnley away in the final day, get your money on Sean Dyche. Um, for Leeds... 15th, three points clear of Everton, but they have played a game more. It's a disappointing season. There's no way around it, but they've just been so hammered by injuries. Their next five games is horrible. Villa away, Everton away, Manchester United at home, Tottenham at home, Leicester away. That's a really, really tough run of games. And almost all of them will be without Calvin Phillips. He's not expected back until the Leicester game at the earliest that's really, really tough. They've done decently to get by without him, but that's really, really tough. Manchester United won West Ham nil. Really big win for United. Neither team played particularly well in this game. I thought West Ham were really disappointing. 
Really disappointing. That's back-to-back defeats for the Hammers. Uh, United win it late with a Marcus Rashford goal. A little bit of controversy over it, but I think it's onside. Um, ball played through to Cavani by Martial, who appeared from the dead as if as if he'd been there all along. Um, he slipped, Martial slips in Cavani. Cavani squares it, and Rashford taps in from a yard home. That's two and two for Rashford. It's a big, big win for United. They're in the top four. They're a point ahead of West Ham with a game less played. Now, they're two points ahead of Arsenal. Arsenal have a game in hand. They're two points ahead of Spurs. Spurs have a game in hand. But, again, points on the board. It's what really matters at this time. And, you know, if United can still grind out results, then maybe they're going to be the team that manages to get themselves into that uh, fourth spot. They have a fairly favourable run of games coming up. They get Middlesbrough in the FA Cup on Friday the 4th of February. It's a Friday night kickoff. Should be good. Uh, Then you get Burnley away on the 8th. Southampton at home on the 12th. Leeds away on the 20th. They've owned Leeds since Leeds came up. Um, Watford at home on the 26th. That's a game they should really win. Then it's Man City away. That's a tough one. But those next four are all very, very winnable games. And in fact, any drop points there is going to be disappointing. Any drop points in those four is very, very disappointing for them. It gets tougher after that. They get their their marches and into early April is tough. They get City away. They get Tottenham. They get Liverpool away. And then they get Leicester with two games against Atletico Madrid in there as well. So March will be the big telling point for United, but their February is very favourable from a Premier League point of view. And anything less than 12 points should be seen as as a major disappointment. Uh, West Ham, like I said, back-to-back defeats. The form hasn't been good. The performances haven't been good. They have Watford at home next. Well, sorry, Kidderminster away in the FA Cup. That's a, a great draw for Kidderminster. Um, just from an eyeballs point of view, because obviously West Ham will bring a lot of attention. But then Watford at home, Leicester away, Newcastle at home, Wolves at home, and then Liverpool away. You look at that and say, there's three wins there. Watford, Newcastle at home to Wolves, West Ham should win the game. Leicester away is winnable. Anfield will be tough, but you know they, they should be able to keep themselves on this same sort of course and stay in the mix for that fourth spot. I I, I think they fall short. Um, I think they'll finish sixth this season, but six is is a, is a good return for West Ham, considering they've got Europa League as well. They've got a smallish squad. They weren't expected to do anything last season. They were expected to battle relegation. They finished sixth. If they can repeat the trick, it shows it's not a fluke. It shows what a great job Moyes is doing. But that performance at the weekend was just really disappointing. Moyes away to big clubs 
there's a psychological block there with him, and it's really disappointing. Um, we'll keep going. Southampton won, Manchester City won in the late kickoff. Uh, Saints went one up through Kyle Walker Peters. Really well worked goal and a really good finish. And then America Port with a header on 65, making 1 1. Thought City were poor in this game, to be honest. Another bad performance by Jack Grealish. They don't look as comfortable with him in the team. They don't really seem as sure of their movements and their rotations with him in the team. It's not his fault. None of it's his fault, but just bizarre. I saw a weird tweet as well at the weekend by a journalist who claimed he was Britain's most beloved man in the summer, which you know I'm sure the vast majority of people would disagree with. And now he's the most hated player in the Premier League again. He's nothing like the most hated player in the Premier League. I don't think he's hated at all. I think that's just a really bad attention-seeking take. But um, he's not fitting in at the minute. He doesn't fit in on the pitch. He's still adjusting to the fact that not everything runs through him. He's still adjusting to the fact that Pep doesn't just want him laying the ball off for people in bad areas to shoot. And it is causing City a, a little bit of confusion, a little bit of you know clogging in how they try and attack. But look, they're still top of the league. They're nine points clear of Liverpool. Liverpool have a game in hand and Liverpool still have to play City at the Etihad. But City still look very comfortable at the top of the league. 18 wins from 23 games is a great return. Uh, only two defeats. Best goal difference, best defensive record. City look comfortable at the top of the league. And it'll probably get more comfortable because they've got Brentford at home next. After Fulham in the league, they get Brentford at home. Then Norwich away. Then Tottenham at home. Then Everton away. And then United at home. So a couple of difficult games. But anyone be surprised if they won five in a row? Would anyone really be surprised if they just rattled off five wins there? Like Brent, they'll beat Brentford at home. They'll go to Norwich. They'll beat them. You'd expect them to beat Spurs at home. You'd expect them to go to Everton and win because they always go to Everton and win. And you'd expect them to beat United at home. Uh, they've got Sporting in the Champions League, but that shouldn't be too much of a distraction. I I don't see many points being dropped there by City over the next few games, but it's always possible. Like nobody expected them to drop points at Southampton, and they did. And massive credit has to go to Hasenhutl. Thought he set his team up really well. Went with a back four as opposed to the back three he'd been using recently. Went back to that box midfield of his and caused City a lot of problems. And could have even won the game. Could have even won the game. But Southampton sit 12th in the league. One point behind Villa and Leicester. One ahead of Crystal Palace. They get Coventry in the FA Cup on the 5th of February. That's a proper old school Premier League tie. Early to mid 90s era. Uh, then it's a difficult enough kickoff in the league. They get Tottenham away, Manchester United away, Everton at home. Depends on what Everton turn up. Norwich at home, they should, they should win. Then Villa away. So three very difficult away games coming up for Southampton. Uh, Hasenhut, I think, will target those home games as wins. And if they can win one of those away games, I think he'd take nine points 
from those five games and be very, very happy to move on like that. On to Sunday then. We had four games. We'll start with Arsenal against Burnley. Nil-nil. Not a particularly good game. Arsenal had a couple of big chances to win the game. Lacazette did miss one golden opportunity after great work by Emile Smith-Rowe. Arsenal lined up with a very similar team to the one that played Liverpool, except Ben White played right back with Rob Holding coming in at centre-back. So, you know, the mythical injuries to uh, Saka and Smith-Rowe just weren't there. Um, But I never really felt like they were completely in control of this game. I felt like Burnley were matching them. Arsenal had all the ball and they had double the shots, but a lot of them were bad shots. A lot of them were shots from range and Odegaard's free kick and different things that weren't really causing too much trouble. Nick Pope made one excellent save, one really, really good save. But aside from that, didn't really really challenge the keeper a whole bunch. Um, Dwight McNeil could have won it late for Burnley. Burnley broke and he had the option to square it. He went for it himself and just put his shot slightly over. But I, I, Arsenal just looked really flat. They didn't look like a team that believed they were going to win the game. So they're now sixth. They get Wolves away next, which is going to be very difficult. Then it's Brentford at home, a game they should win. But Brentford did beat them in the opening game. Uh, then Watford away. Again, it's a game they should win. Leicester at home. And then Aston Villa away. So not the easiest run for Arsenal. Certainly the the Wolves and Villa games will be very difficult. I would hope Leicester will finally have gotten themselves in order by then. They'll certainly have Ndidi and, and, and that back. So you'd hope to see them kick on. Um, but, you know, Arsenal really do need some sort of injection right now. I think they need it in midfield, but their focus does seem to be on a striker. Dusan Vlahovic, as we know, has been the main target all window. And that one seems to be going absolutely nowhere. It doesn't appear like he wants to play for Arteta. That seems to be the issue. He doesn't believe in Mikel Arteta. So that one's not going to happen by the looks of things. They do have alternative targets. Uh, David Ornstein has named Alexander Isak of Real Sociedad today. He has a buyout clause of €85 million. Euro which is about £75 million, which is close to £20 million more than they were bidding for Vlahovic. Now, allegedly, they're trying to negotiate a lower fee than that, but I don't see what would be in it for Real Sociedad when they know that come the summer there will be more clubs interested in him and they'll probably get close to his buyout. So I don't know that that one happens. The other name being linked is Dominic Calvert-Lewin. There's just no way Everton will do a deal in January with the position that they are currently in. There's just no possible way. I I think Arsenal would be better off going and looking at Jonathan David. They've been linked with him in the past. I think he fits how they play a little bit better than Isak. Isak probably has a higher ceiling, but I think it's more likely that David maximises his talent than Isak because Isak still has a couple of areas that do need big improvements. He's shown potential like as a goal scorer he's shown potential but it's difficult to it's difficult to score goals it's just difficult to score goals whereas with David he's showing he can score goals 
and he offers a creative outlet as well that would be like Arsenal's best performances have come with Lacazette as the nine. So what they're looking for is someone that offers similar things to Lacazette, but more of a goal threat, maybe a bit more pace. And I think that's Jonathan David. I do. I think that's Jonathan David. But they also need somebody in midfield. They need a leader in midfield. They need someone that when games are going against them, can just grab those around them and carry them. Declan Rice, the player he's developing into, is maybe that guy, but I don't think he'd go to Arsenal. Uh, we'll move on. Oh, Burnley. Sorry, Burnley, bottom of the table. Um, still just the one win this season, but they do have nine draws. Only eight defeats. When you consider there are one, two, three, four, there are six teams in the league who have lost more games than them. Seven teams in the league, excuse me, that have lost more games than them including everybody in the six spots above them in the table. They've got by far the best defensive record in the bottom half. And they have a better defensive record than both Manchester United and West Ham. Now, admittedly, they've played five games less than West Ham, four games less than United. They've got to start picking up points. They've got to start turning those games in hand, games in hand into points. They have Watford at home on Saturday the 5th. Both of them are out of the FA Cup, so they're playing that game then. That's a must-win for both teams. Must-win for both teams. Then they get Manchester United at home. That'll be tough. Then Liverpool at home. That'll be tough. Then it's away to Brighton, away to Crystal Palace. They're difficult games. That's a tough run for Burnley. But they have gone to the Emirates and Stamford Bridge and gotten points now. So they should believe that they can take points off a number of teams. They should believe they can go to Brighton and get a point, go to Palace and get a point, hold United or Liverpool to a point. Don't really have a stretch of games that looks favourable. So they've just got to win against those around them. They've got to beat Watford when they play uh, Norwich, they've got to beat Norwich you've got to get to that final day with a chance of winning that game at home against Newcastle and staying up, that's got to be the aim Leicester won Brighton won Leicester went one up through Pats and Daka on 46 minutes after a bit of a goal scramble but Danny Welbeck equalised on 82 to give Brighton a share of the spoils. This was a strange game, which Leicester played well and were ahead and then decided to change how they were playing and play as if they were playing Real Madrid in the Champions League final and clinging on for dear life. It was very, very strange. It was great to see James Justin back. Absolutely brilliant to see him back. He was so good before his injury, was developing into one of the best fullbacks in the league. So it was great to see him back. And I thought he had a good game. I thought he looked purposeful. He looked fit. He looked like he hadn't really been away. So hopefully he can stay fit and get back to his best. Nice to see Harvey Barnes get a start. Didn't have a great game, but nice to see him get a start. thought Luckman played pretty well, but could have, could have done better with the one good chance he had. Dak has scored his goal. And I thought the front four 
four Leicester, Luckman, Madison and Barnes behind Daka looked really purposeful in the early stages of the game. When before Brighton really kind of grew into the game, I thought that that attacking unit for uh, Leicester looked good, looked promising. I would have started Bubakar uh, Samari or Bubakari Samari over Dewsbury Hall. I thought they got a bit soft in midfield with Tielemans and, and Dewsbury Hall, and that's how Brighton got their foothold back in the game. So for me, that's the, that's what I would have been doing. But Brendan is Brendan, and he makes his decisions. Leicester sit tenth in the table. Rogers made some bizarre claims before this game, coming out and saying that. Uh, fifth might well be the pinnacle for Leicester, who won the title six years ago. He said he said it would be the pinnacle. Now, some people tried to agree with him, but look on the face of it, if you if if you look back in twenty five years, you go, "Oh, Leicester finished fifth. That's a good achievement." But when you remember what happened in those seasons, Manchester United were poor. Chelsea were poor. Tottenham were poor. Arsenal were poor. Indeed, last season, Liverpool weren't great. There were big opportunities in both of those seasons to finish fourth. And with the team and the squad that they have, the backing that he's had, being able to hold on to his best players this past summer, they should have been doing more. Tenth is completely unacceptable. They're four points behind Brighton, who are ninth. And they do have two games in hand. But does anyone trust Leicester to win those games in hand? They've got Nottingham Forest in the Cup next. Then they've got Liverpool away. Then West Ham at home. Wolves away. Leeds at home. And then Arsenal away. So it's a difficult run in the league. Leicester's the, Leicester-Leeds is the, is the one game you'd look at and say... That Leicester should win that one. But Arsenal away, Liverpool away, Wolves away, don't fancy them to win any of those. They could potentially get, you know, they, they could beat Arsenal. But don't fancy them to win at Molyneux. Don't fancy them to win at Anfield. And if West Ham turn up, I think they beat Leicester. So that's a really difficult run. And it wouldn't surprise me if Rodgers is starting to feel some heat. It really wouldn't surprise me. When a manager is downplaying expectations, it's never a good sign. Brighton, like I said, they're in ninth. They have Tottenham in the FA Cup. Then it's Watford away. Burnley at home. Two games they'll be targeting to win. Villa at home. I think, again, they'll be targeting the win there because it's a team in the same sort of area in the league, league as them. Newcastle away, definitely a winnable game. Liverpool at home. They got a result at Anfield. They go Liverpool City back to back as well, so they won't want to lose both of them. They'll be targeting, you know, at least a draw from one of those games. And and the type of team, the way they set up, how good they are on the ball, they could easily get a result against one of the the top two. Um, Crystal Palace won Liverpool three. I've done a more kind of in depth review of this one on the Daily Red, which you can find on AnfieldIndex.com. If you've got the Anfield Index app, it's on there. Um, Liverpool were the better team for 35 minutes and went two up through Van Dijk and Oxlade-Chamberlain. Palace looked really poor in that spell. And then Palace just took the game over. And I would say from 35 to 85, Palace were the better team. 
Edward scored on 55 to get them back into it. Good play by Schlupp after Jordan Henderson had deemed doing his job too much effort. They opened Liverpool up and Mateta broke through, played it to uh, Edward after drawing the keeper and he made it 2-1 at the time. They should have had a couple of other goals. I mean, Conor Gallagher missed a sitter, four yards out, free header. Edward with a back heel from three yards out, should have scored. Uh, Olise almost lobbed Allison. Olise had another good chance. They were r- fairly much on top of Liverpool, fairly opening Liverpool up at, at will. And they just looked like a really good team. Michael Olise, that, that kid is really special. Really special. It, it just... When you think of the fact that Livermento went for five million and he went for eight, like somebody could have bought the right side of their team for th- for the next ten years for ter- thirteen million, thirteen million for two lads who look like they have the potential to be absolutely top class. Andy Robertson has to have come off that pitch with twisted blood because at least they turned him inside and out. He can go to his right, he can go to his left, he cuts back really well, he's got nimble feet, he's got great body control, he uses body swerves to throw defenders off, doesn't even need to move the ball one way or the other. And he dribbles at full speed as well. There's there's just so much about his game to like. He delivers a great cross. You can see he sees the game really well. Michael Anise is a special talent. And every Chiesi came off the bench, he's another one. We saw what he could do last year. If if he gets back up to full speed fairly quickly, Crystal Palace are going to be a problem. I really like this Palace team. After obviously after Liverpool, they're the team I do try and watch the most, or, or I'll go to first. If there's a bunch of games on and Liverpool aren't playing, I'll watch the Crystal Palace game over pretty much anybody else because they're just fun to watch. Liverpool are second in the league. Oh, I meant to say Fabinho scored a penalty on. Was it 89 minutes? Yeah. I didn't think it was a penalty. Personally, I think Palace have been hard done by. I thought Jota stepped into the keeper to initiate the contact. I don't think it's a penalty. But it was given. Fabinho stepped up and scored. It's 3-1. It's game over. Um, Liverpool are second in the league. Nine points behind City with a game in hand. They get Cardiff in the FA Cup on the 6th of February. Then it's Leicester at home. Then Burnley away, Norwich at home, West Ham at home, and then Brighton away. So I think it's a fairly tough little run, um, especially that the West Ham and Brighton games, because they've also got Inter Milan in the Champions League twice and Chelsea in the League Cup final. So I think it's a difficult run. I think it's harder than the City's run, for example, because the Champions League games are harder than what City will face. Um, They've got to win these games. They really have got to win these games. They cannot afford any slip-ups. They have to win all five just to keep pace with City or to take advantage of any slip-ups from City. It looks like, you know, there's going to be a big showdown on the 9th of April. I assume that game gets changed in the 10th. The 9th is the Saturday. I assume it gets changed to the 10th. And we have that as the Super Sunday game. But that is looking like where it will all be decided um, in the Premier League this season. Unless Liverpool slip up in the meantime. 
and City open up an even bigger gap. For Palace, they'll be disappointed with the result. They should be very proud of the performance and they should take confidence that that can, is something they can translate into the next couple of games. They've got Hartlepool in the FA Cup. They should win that. Then they go to Norwich. They should win there. Brentford in a London derby. That will be an interesting one. Then it's Chelsea at home. Now, remember, Chelsea beat Palace on the opening day 3-0. But Palace are a much improved team since then. Now, Gallagher won't be able to play. But they might have other players back fit by then and back from AFCON and stuff. So, you know, they should be okay for one game. Uh, Then it's Burnley at home. And then Wolves away. That will be a difficult one. But there's a couple of winnable games in there. There's a couple of winnable games. You'd say they'll beat, they should beat Norwich. They should beat Burnley at home. Um, they could beat Brentford away. There's no doubt there. And, you know, against Chelsea at home, they could very much get a result. Final game then. Uh, Tottenham went to Stamford Bridge. I thought they started really well. And I thought in that first half, Stephen Bergvine just looked like Chelsea couldn't deal with him. With his pace and how explosive he is, he seemed to just be beating two and three Chelsea players every time he picked the ball up. Tottenham thought they'd gone in 1-0 up, or they were going in 1-0 up, as ball in from the left-hand side. Thiago Silva misjudges the ball and overruns it. And fortunately for him, Harry Kane puts his hand on his back and he dives. Kane picks up the ball, turns and scores. And the referee gives a free out. It's bad defending by Silva and great acting. And he gets away with one. It, there is a hand, but there's no way it's enough hand, enough pressure to send him flying. Kane doesn't really push off either. He's just trying to create a bit of separation. So, look, it's a little bit unfortunate for Tottenham, but it is what it is. And they lost a bottle after that. And they were awful in the second half. Absolutely awful. Uh, Zayic made it 1-0 on 47. A beautiful curling effort from just outside the box. Gorgeous goal. Really, really good. Eight minutes later, Thiago Silva makes it two with a header from a set piece. And that's it. That's all she wrote. The most notable thing that happened after that was Callum Hudson-Odoi attempting to play a 15-yard pass and skying it into the stand. That was about it. Uh, Not a particularly great game of football, but Chelsea did play well. I thought Lukaku looked a bit more lively. It was interesting to see Thomas Tuchel stick with a 4-3-3. I do think they're going to be easy enough to get at in that system. But with playing glorified central defenders in Aspilicueta and Saar, either side of the two centre-backs, they are really compact. Just means they're even more stagnant going forward, which is, is a bit of a problem. But they'll get Reese James back. They're still looking to bring in a left-back. It's obviously big question marks over the future of Rudiger, who seems to think that he's both a bowler and the toughest man in the world, which, you know, is a bit odd. He's a strange fella. He looks he, he looks like he'd be great crack to be around. Um, but yeah, Ch- Chelsea were good value for their win over the, fir- the full 90. But Spurs did look to have them on the ropes in that first half. They really did look to have them on the ropes in that first half. The 4-4-2 from Spurs didn't work, though. Didn't work. And uh, there's too, too many average players. And uh, there's another thing, actually. Conte said after the game, because that's three defeats to Chelsea down in 10 days, something like that. He said, 
it'll take two to three years to be competing with the elite teams. And I saw people, what does he mean? How can he say that? Well, like, think about it this way. He's talking in two to three years, he's saying he can have them competing for titles. That's about right. It took Klopp two to three years to compete for a title. It was actually, it was Klopp's year four, which was his third full season, to compete for the title. He won it in his fifth full season. No, I've got that wrong. He won it in his fourth full season. It was his fifth season overall. So two to three years to compete for the title is a fair timeline. If I'm a Spurs fan, I'm looking at that thinking, does that mean he'll be here in two to three years? Because if he is, that's great for Spurs. But when you see a Tottenham team that lines up with Eric Dyer and Davinson Sanchez as your centre-backs and Matt Doherty on a wing and Harry Winks and Heusberg. I mean, I like Heusberg, but you can't play Winks and Heusberg. Can Ben Davies, like three quarters of defence, Dyer, Sanchez and Davies. That's painfully average. Painfully average. And if he's deeming that Delhi, Endembele and Lacelso are not for him, even though they're super talented players, then let him move them on. And let him rebuild the squad the way he wants to. Because what else are you going to do? You're not going to get a better manager. You've never had a better manager than Antonio Conte. So let the man do what he wants. And if what he wants to do is burn it down and build around Romero, Kane and and Ali, then that's absolutely fine. If that's what he wants to do, let him do that. Let him build around the players he deems good enough. And let him move on the ones he deems not good enough. And if they're costly mistakes, they're costly mistakes. You know, if the players you brought in for big money and they haven't worked, then so be it. But Tottenham, I still think they're the favourites for fourth. They are seventh right now, but if they win their game in hand on Arsenal, they would go into fourth. Oh, Claudio Ranieri has been sacked, according to Adam Leventhal of The Athletic. So as suggested earlier, Ranieri out. It remains to be seen who's coming in, but Diego Martinez's name has been doing the rounds he would be a great appointment. He'd be a very un-Watford appointment. So I'm expecting somebody that we haven't heard of who they found managing in like the Tajikistan second division or something like that. Uh, so we'll wait and see. But yeah, I mean, it, it can't be a surprise that Ranieri is gone. Like I said, when he, when he took the job over, you can predict it. Um, yeah, Tottenham, seven in the league. Two points behind United, who are fourth. They've got two games in hand on United, three games in hand on West Ham, one on Arsenal, and they have Arsenal to come to their stadium. So I still think Spurs should be seen as favourites to finish fourth. I think they've got the best manager and the two best players. I think they've got the best central defender in Romero. Once he's back, I think that we'll see a big improvement in Spurs defensively. Uh, for Chelsea, oh, sorry, Tottenham's next couple of games. They get Brighton in the cup. Then Southampton at home. It's a winnable game. Wolves at home will be tough, but it is a winnable game. Um, City away will be tough. They go to Leeds. It's a game they should win. They get Everton at home. They should win that. They should win four of the next five, or at least three of the next five. 
They should beat Southampton, beat Leeds and beat Everton. If they get a draw against Wolves and a draw against City, even though I expect City to beat them, that would be a good return. But if they can take even 10 points from those 15, that's a pretty good return. I think that's about as well as anybody in that group will do, other than United, who have the easiest run. But then their march is horrible. So I think they make it back then. And they obviously play United in March as well. Uh, For Chelsea, third in the league, 10 points off top, game more played. I don't think they're title challengers, but they are going to be in the mix. And they've got a huge gap now before they play another Premier League game. So they have Plymouth in the FA Cup. Then they go to the Club World Cup. They'll play two games over there. Their next Premier League game is the 19th of February against Crystal Palace away. Then they get Leon in the Champions League. Then Liverpool in the League Cup final. Then Burnley away on the 5th of March. So between now and the 5th of March, they play one game, which is that Palace game. Then it's a it's a favourable run, but it's the type of run that they've been making a mess of. They get Burnley away, Newcastle at home, Lille again in the Champions League, then Norwich away, Brentford at home, Southampton away, Leeds away. They're all winnable games. All of their next seven Premier League matches are games that Chelsea should go and win. But because there's so many big gaps, and because this team really does struggle going forward, it's tough to see what they're going to be be able to do. Like It's tough to see them not dropping points along the way. Uh, right, that is the 10 Premier League games. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we've got a little bit on AFCON, a little bit of news. Gareth Crook's making a show of himself, and we'll finish with the gossip. So I will see you in a minute. Right, welcome back. So, uh, AFCON, over the weekend, Burkina Faso beat Gabon on penalties. Uh, 1-1 draw. Burkina Faso won 7-6 on penalties. So, they're through to the quarterfinals where they will, beat, they will play Tunisia. Tunisia beat Nigeria. I did pick Nigeria to win that game, so my bracket is already busted. Uh, but Nigeria were really poor. Alex Awobi found himself sent off. Um, because, you know, Everton do Everton things wherever they go. Um, but Tunisia through, congrats to them. So that's the first quarterfinal game set. Today, Guinea will play Gambia. Now, he did pick Guinea to win, but Naby Keita is suspended, which I wasn't aware of at the time. That's a, That becomes a much closer game. I'm still going to stick with Guinea, but... It wouldn't surprise me if Gambia do win. Keep an eye on Musa Barrow in that one. And Cameroon play Camoras. That's also today. So um, the winners of those games will play in the quarterfinals. And that is where we stand with AFCON for now. In terms of Premier League news, oh, actually just on the AFCON, Camoras, their goalkeeper has been ruled out of their game today because of positive COVID test. So it is what it is. He is out of that game. Uh, bad news for all 
good people. Sergio Ramos scored his first goal for Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, leads to investigate incident that caused Newcastle fans to be crushed. Fans were left terrified when four tur- turnstiles designed to let in almost 2,700 supporters stopped working. Wow. Stewarts and police failed to respond to an incident which lasted more than 30 minutes. Somebody could have been badly hurt. And some of the stewards were seen laughing at the situation. Well, that is disgraceful. That is absolutely disgraceful. Fans were eventually let in when a gate was opened, but only arrived into the stadium concourse 20 minutes after kickoff and could not get to their correct seats. What an absolute disaster. Be better, Leeds. Be better. Proper investigation. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. That could have turned out far, far worse than it did. Right, Garth Crooks and his team of the week. Allison and goal. It's a thing of beauty this week. It really is a thing of beauty. Allison is the goalkeeper. He was brilliant. There's no doubt about that. He's the he's the keeper. Walker Peters, Van Dyke, Laporte, and Thiago Silva as a back four. Thiago Silva, the left back. Now, what did they all do this weekend? Oh, they all scored. That's right. They all scored. Were they the best defenders this weekend? It doesn't matter because they all scored. Uh, in midfield, John Joe Shelby, he scored. Joe Matinho. He scored. And Bruno Fernandes, he didn't score. So we've got one player who didn't score. Hakim Zayic, Josh Sargent, and Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford is his his third striker. So, again, all of them scored. Uh, Did they all play well? Zayic played pretty well. I don't know that he'd be... Team of the week, good. Uh, Sargent played well. He got two goals, so you can't really argue with that one. But, I mean, Rashford? I'm having a tough time with with that inclusion. He played half an hour, and I didn't think he offered a whole lot up until he scored. He had that one chance just before it that Zuma made the block on. I'm not sure Marcus Rashford is team of the week, Gar. Like, Michael Elise should absolutely be in there. I don't know why Bruno Fernandes, and you've, you've clearly picked this based on people who score. I didn't think Bruno had a great game at the weekend. He's put him in because he created four chances. But I didn't think he played particularly well. I thought Ward Prowse had a better game than him. I thought Ruben Neves had a better game than him. And Ruben, Ruben Neves scored. He does just pick these teams based on who's scored. There's no other way around that. That's all he does. He looks at who scored goals. There's no other way you'd land on that team. 
Right, we'll run through the gossip. We've got a few days to catch up on. Manchester United have ended their interest in Erling Haaland after been told he would prefer a move to Real Madrid. So they haven't ended their interest. He has ended their interest. Raheem Sterling was open to the idea of joining Barcelona on loan from Manchester City. Um, City were never going to allow that. Dusan Vlahovic dreams of playing in the Premier League, but he would prefer a move to Manchester City over Arsenal. It's not that. He wants to play for good coaches. He knows Arteta is a PE teacher. Um, <laughs> this is brilliant. Arsenal are set to offer Mikel Arteta a new two-year deal to fend off potential interest from Manchester City. City are not going to downgrade in that spectacular match, uh, matter, manner. Uh, Everton Chiefs are divided over offering Wayne Rooney an emotional return as the club manager would be a disaster. Let him develop where he is. Argentina for Julian Alvarez is close to joining Manchester City on a five-year deal. Both the 21-year-old will stay at River Plate until June. He's very, very good, very, very promising. Um, City do, you know, they have been looking for more attackers, so it makes sense. Chelsea, Tottenham and Barcelona have all inquired about Jonathan David. I think Arsenal should be as well. Liverpool are ready to battle Bundesliga sides Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund for Dennis Zakaria. I would bet you that they're not. Tottenham are edging closer to a deal with Wolves to sign Adama Traore. Adama played for Brentford at the weekend and scored, but it was disallowed for a marginal offside. So it would have been a nice goodbye. It does look like that's going to happen. I, I don't understand that deal at all. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain's move for Tanguy Ndombele has hit a snag with the French club struggling to convince one of their players to be involved in a swap deal. The France international is also attracting interest from Roma and Napoli, as well as clubs in Spain and Germany. I don't think he wants to go to Roma and work under Mourinho again. Um, Abdou Diallo is the, is the one Spurs should be pushing for. Ideal for a back three. Germany defender Antonio Rudiger is demanding a contract worth £46 million in total before ex- agreeing to extend his Chelsea deal. That, that's, that's kind of excessive for a good but not great centre-back. Manchester United have, an ex- have expressed an interest in Bubakar Kamara, with Roma also monitoring his situation. He's, he's going to be a really good defensive midfielder, which is what United need. Burnley have made a bid to sign Sadar Ausman from Zenit St. Petersburg. He has six months left of a Zenit deal, but has been linked with Leon and Juventus. Over the weekend, he signed a pre-contract to join Bayer Leverkusen in the summer. Uh, our favourite spoofer, Fabrizio, he said that he had all agreed to go to Leon. All agreed. It was all agreed. And in terms out, it turns out that it wasn't. It wasn't agreed at all. And uh, he's going to Bayer Leverkusen. Oscar has confirmed he held talks with Barcelona about signing for them. Um, Oscar. He's been wallowing in China for five years. Leave him where he is. That kid took the decision to throw away his career to chase money at 25. Let him stay where he is. Lovely player, but no, no time from now. Ivory Coast defender Eric Bailly is opening to leaving is open to leaving Manchester United this month, but while AC Milan have expressed interest, the Italians cannot afford to meet the Premier League club's conditions. They can't really afford to let him go either because they don't have any real backup. They've got 
Well, Phil Jones is back. And I suppose he could be your fourth centre back, but United need by E. Um, though he's only fit two games a season, so maybe not. Newcastle have opened preliminary talks to sign Delhi Ali. Uh, I think Delhi should swerve that one. I know he needs a move, but I don't think that's it. Go abroad. Go to Italy or somewhere and get your confidence back. Olympiacos' Papu Abu Sisse is another target for Newcastle. Senegal defenders also attracting interest from Arsenal, Everton and Leicester. Brentford are set to offer Thomas Frank a contract extension. His current deal runs till 2023. Understandable. Leeds have opened contract talks with Rafinha in a bid to ward off interest from Liverpool, Chelsea and Bayern Munich. There's little to no chance that Rafinha is at Leeds next season. Little to no chance in my view. Crystal Palace have pulled out of the race to sign Aaron Ramsey, despite his interest in working under Patrick Vieira. I think it's because they realise he's not very good. Ajax and Mexico midfielder Edson Alvarez is the subject of interest from Chelsea, Leicester and Crystal Palace. He'd be an ideal fit at Palace, who could do with that holding midfielder. Uh, Chelsea don't really have it. Well, they do need a holding midfielder. I don't know that Alvarez is the one for them. He wouldn't be a bad signing. If, if it's only going to be a squad role, then yeah, that's fine. Um, Leicester have Ndidi, so unless he's leaving, it makes no sense. Premier League clubs, Wolves, Brighton, Burnley, Newcastle and Championship leaders Fulham want to sign Tom Lawrence from Derby. I have a hard time seeing Wolves or Brighton wanting him, but I can understand the rest. Nice are hoping to land Brian Hill on loan from Tottenham. He hasn't really set the world alight at Tottenham, but he's clearly shown, he has shown he's clearly a very talented player. Uh, Newcastle are hoping to sign James Tarkovsky. They're going to have to pay a lot of money after what they did to Burnley on the Chris Wood deal. They'll have to pay a lot. Uh, representatives of Sevilla defender Diego Carlos are trying to persuade the club to sell him to Newcastle. Sevilla wants $60 million. They're, they're mental. He's not worth... The, 35, maybe 40 in a push because you're in a relegation battle. But if you pay 60 million for him, you deserve to go down. Uh, Newcastle are set to hold talks with Brighton over East Basuma. He is not going to go there. He will not want to go down. Danish midfielder Christian Eriksen is set to sign for Brentford within the next 72 hours. That depends on him passing a medical, obviously. But that does seem to be something that's going to happen. Um... Pep Guardiola will be offered the chance to go into international management by the Dutch FA when he eventually leaves the Etihad. I, I don't believe that. Uh, Arsenal have submitted a €70 million Euro bid for Dusan Vlahovic. It's been ter- well, he doesn't want the move, so I don't know. Um, West Ham want to sign Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but Everton are asking €60 million. He's not going to go to West Ham. He's going to have better offers. With respect, with respect to West Ham, he's going to have better offers. Burnley want to sign Aaron Ramsdale on loan until the end of the season. Why? Why? Don't sign him or Gareth Bale, anyone ever, because they only care about one thing, which is the Welsh, Welsh national team. And their, their bank balances, of course. That'd be the second one. Uh, Real Madrid manager Carlo Ancelotti says Eden Hazard is set to stay at the club. Of course he's set to stay at the club. Nobody wants him. Uh, Manchester City, yeah, that's Julian Alvarez again. 
Aston Villa are interested in signing Rodrigo Bentancur. This is from the mail. It's been confirmed by uh, John Percy, so it is definitely true that they do want him. West Ham have pulled out of the race to sign Adama Traore. Were they ever in the race? Chelsea are interested in Borna Sosa. They do want a left wing back. He would suit quite well. Atletico Madrid are keen on signing Marcus Alonso. I doubt it. Uh, he can't defend. And Mourinho, or Simeone rather, already got rid of one full back. He couldn't defend. I don't think he'll want another. Liverpool have distanced themselves from a move from Dennis Zakaria because they, they don't have interest. Uh, Arsenal are close to securing an 18 month loan for Arthur Mello. Are they though? Are they really? Belgium and former Manchester United winger Adnan Yanazai is set to extend his stay at Real Sociedad and Tottenham, Barcelona and Chelsea all in a bit. Jonathan David and apparently Paris Saint-Germain are as well. And the final day's worth is here. So Arsenal face competition from Juventus for Vlahovic. Um, he, he will want to go to Juventus. Vlahovic has been accused of ignoring the club's calls by... Fiorentina club exec, uh, Fiorentina's chief executive Joe Barone following the Gunners' reported bid. That is funny. Liverpool are monitoring Eduardo Camavinga and his situation at Real Madrid. England midfielder Jesse Lingard is looking for a loan move away from Manchester United. Yeah, he's willing to join Newcastle on loan but won't go there permanently. But I think he would go somewhere else permanently. Uh, Tottenham are open to selling Deli Ali and Giovanni Lo Celso and the pair were left out of Antonio Conte's squad, which was a bit strange. Newcastle may consider consider Deli Ali as a backup option for Jesse Lingard. First of all, Deli Ali is a better player than Lingard. Secondly, they have a backup option. His name is Joe Willock. He played Joe Willock. He played actually played quite well at the weekend, it must be said. Spurs have made a move for non-league Lewis winger Ollie Tanner. Okay, Brentford are close to finalising a deal for Christian Eriksen. Uh, Newcastle are closing in the signing of Mitchell Backer from Bayer Leverkusen. Gives them another left back. That so they'd have two left backs. Then they could play him and Lewis. They could rotate them. Backer can also play as a left winger. Uh, Arsenal have agreed terms on a loan deal for Arthur Mello. Again, I don't think they have. This is great, though. Liverpool are monitoring the 19-year-old England and Fulham winger Fabio Cavallo, credited to the spoofer. Every Liverpool journalist reported this 24 hours before him. The Reds faced competition from his signature for his signature from Leeds and West Ham with Cavallo at a contract in the summer. I'd love Liverpool to get him. If he doesn't go there, I'd love him at Palace because I think him, Eze and Elise would be just amazing to watch together but yeah I, I do think Liverpool end up getting him Newcastle's hopes of signing Duvan Zabata has been boosted with Serie A side's willingness to loan him out for around eight million. they're not going to loan him out what are you talking about uh, the Premier League is set to change its rules around the postponement of matches due to Covid with clubs required to, to prove at least four positive tests to get matches arranged, arranged. Uh, this is because of Arsenal's cheating is what this is because of, because of Arsenal making up injuries that didn't exist. Um, and there we have it, folks. That is today's show. Sorry we are late again today, but we were late getting started. That is on me. Uh, we'll be back at our usual spot tomorrow, 4 p.m. But today it's half five. It's six o'clock. It's whatever it is. A little bit later, but, you know, 
It's the same good content, same good stuff. I'll see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.